Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. It's good to, good to be here, isn't it? And I feel kind of proud of myself today. I've survived a whole week without my wife. Uh, she's coming back tomorrow, but I've got to say, I had a bit of a scurry. Uh, Rita had a bit of a scurry around the house this morning. I was folding, washing it, whatever, before, before it was even light. Uh, I kid you not. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were just, and of course, we've got our, our toddler, one of our grandsons coming up, and he's, a, he's into everything. He's nearly two, so my wife says, make sure everything's up and back and all that sort of stuff. So I tried to get into the mind of a two-year-old, you know. And uh, it was fun. So it's great to be here. I'm excited to be with you today. And have you noticed that we're all different? Have you noticed that? Just the people around you, the way they dress and they look. I mean, that's right. I mean, wonderfully different. We're, we're a diverse group and we've got larger populations of cultures and others. But even within the same culture, you can have different people, right? Different temperaments, different personalities, different preferences of music style. I remember one day, Willie, you'll find this a joke. One time I remember meeting a, a Samoan man, become a friend of mine, who was big on heavy metal. I'd never met a Pacific Islander big on heavy metal before. I mean, it's always been R&B or something like that, you know. Just, we're all different, aren't we different? Just look around, just look at the neighbors beside you and go, whoa, you are different. It's good to be different. We're so filled with different opinions and different expectations, right? Some of us, when we go shopping, we want to have five attendants fussing over us. Some of us, when we go shopping, we don't want anyone fussing over us. We'll let you know if we want to receive some attention. Isn't that right? What about taking selfies? Some of you have to take a selfie to validate the moment every time you have a moment. Yeah, exactly. Pastor Wee Young, he's, he's up there. I mean, some of us just keep forgetting, right? I mean, no judgment around here, right? No judgment. I've gone through my seasons of trying to capture everything and then realize I'm hopeless. I'm just hopeless. We're different. We're different. We're very different. What about holidays? Some of us like to go somewhere. I'm kind of like this. I really don't want to do much. I want to sleep, eat, watch a movie, and just go with the flow. But other people want to get up early in the morning and see everything in the city. Is that right? We're very different. We're very different with expectations, and those unspoken expectations, they often create tension, right? My wife, I'm going to be with my wife tonight. She'll have expectations. I've probably got some expectations too, and they might be different. I mean, do you know what? We all come to church with our own opinions and expectations. Interesting, isn't it? Some people don't want the pastor to talk to them. Other people, why isn't the pastor talking to me? <laughs> True story. Some people really do expect me to be there in the morning and preach a sermon at 6 a.m. every day to motivate them to get up for Jesus. Right? We all have our expectations and throw in culture and throw in our church history, maybe abusive leadership, or who knows what. We, we build up these expectations. None of it's often said, but it's still there. We certainly have expectations of our services. 
really interesting. We've been doing these experimental breakout services, right? And just to my home the other night, this is just a foretaste. We've done our research beyond that, and we're going to get some feedback from different people. But just the other night, Ian, is that not true? In my very own dining room, we said, hey, what do you think about this breakout thing? Like, is it working? Is it good? And just in that small group, we had people, I love it. We can talk, we can share, I've got my opinions, I can talk, get into it, you know. And then, of course, there's another group of people go, I don't really like it. <laughs> In fact, somebody who will remain nameless confessed, when they come up, I sit with my child in the, in the room with the kids' church. But actually, they also said, it's a bit awkward at the beginning, but when we press through and get to know people, it's really worth it. We have these different opinions. I mean, I have a personal opinion, but I, I don't lead from that. I have to consult and talk to other people, right? Namely God, as a matter of fact. But, but, but seriously, we have these opinions and these different expectations. Music, kids' church. Guess what? Not only do we have, and it's okay to have an opinion. It really is. It's, it's valid. And it's okay to have expectations. But just realize that the person beside you, behind you, and around you, and probably the guy on the stage has a very different opinion or expectation. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. Listen in. Here's the thing. Not only do we have an expectation and an opinion about church, so does God. And here's just a, a thought. Should we start with what God thinks first? Is that, is that, can we agree on that at least? All right, because I reckon there's something, you know, we've all got our own little sinful things. We've got our own personal preferences. We've got our own cultural biases. But let's all at least look to God and then reason from that backwards. Can we do that today? So God has an opinion, and he wrote his opinion in the Bible. That's why it's really, really good to read the Bible. And it's, it's kind of there. You know, like, you know, have no other gods before me, like Ten Commandments. That's expectations. That's opinion, for example. So God had the Apostle Paul write a letter. It's one of 66 books in the Bible. This one's called Ephesians. It's an actual city in modern-day Turkey. Ephesus is what you call it, Ephesus. And people who come from Ephesus are called... There we go. We're doing well today, people. And we are going to camp out in a new series about the book of Ephesians. And we're going to walk our way through, not verse by verse. I'd love to do that. I have an opinion about that. I'd love to do that and spend the rest of the next three years going through each verse personally. But I know we lose a lot of people. And so we're going to spend about nine, eight, nine weeks in this, and we're going to fall either side of Easter. And we're going to look at the book, the letter of Ephesians, which is called, by the way, the Queen of the Epistles. Many scholars regard it as that. It's a letter to a church, a local church in the city of Ephesus, and it's written about us. In fact, a number of scholars say that Ephesians, get this, Pastor Weyong, is the most contemporary book of the Bible. That is to say, it has, it's a re very relevant topics, everyday language, and minimal use of imagery or proverbs or kind of cryptic language. You have to know deep and you know deep secrets about the culture. You don't have to do that with Ephesians. It's it's really contemporary. It could have been written to every nation, Auckland city. 
most of it. It's, it's, it. There's going to be a little bit there you were going to find out, which is you've got to get a bit of understanding. So it could be written to the modern church, and the major theme is the church. It is the church, and Paul adores the church. Paul, it's almost like this, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I imagine a, what do you call that, a big quill, or, or maybe he's got someone else who's writing on his behalf. I can't quite remember the facts regarding this particular letter. Sometimes he personally may have written it or had someone else. Anyway, as he's putting the words there, as he's capturing the Spirit of God, the mind of God, he's almost looking at this diamond. And this diamond is rotating in the light, this diamond called the church. And as you rotate the diamond, you see different colors and tones and nuances coming out. And as Paul's writing the sixth chapter letter, he's seeing the church. He sees the church as a purpose of God, the church as the temple of God, the church as the family of God, the body of God, the bride of God, and the army of God. Every single chapter describes a different angle, a different facet of the mystery and the wonder and indeed the beauty of church. I want you to bear that in mind. I'm kind of introducing the series today. And we're going to look at the city of Ephesus. As I mentioned, it's in modern-day Turkey. And we're going to get, there's a map coming up here, right? There we go. There's your modern-day map and there's Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And let's go to the next slide. We've got some pictures for you. Here we go. Ephesus was, what you're seeing up there are ruins, relics, but Ephesus was a bustling, large city for its day. They estimate a population of around a quarter of a million people, and it was bustling. It had commerce, it was, had, had, had uh, businesses, and it had social life. It was kind of, some would say, like the New York of its day. It was the go-to place of its day. And as I said, it had commercial life. A lot of wealthy people were there. The, the greatest harbor in what was known as Asia Minor, this part of the world was known as Asia Minor, the greatest, most, uh, what's our busiest productive harbor of its time. It was in a major trade route. And with that came sailors. And with sailors comes immorality. It was an immoral city. And I, I could describe it today, but I wouldn't want to offend some of you in your various cultural nuances. But it was, it was flagrant it was public and it was predatory and it was all the time like modern modern culture doesn't have a whole lot on Ephesus like you wouldn't want to tell anyone you come even from Ephesus because of the the connotations of lifestyle that by association you would you would have it's very interesting and Paul of course decides he's going to plant a church right there it's kind of like going into Karaka Street, right? Yeah, exciting. What an eclectic area we live in. Really interesting. But here's the thing, and you see this in Acts chapter 18 and 19, where Paul describes his visit to Ephesus. We find out not only does it have a strong commercial life and a, a really a strong, not on a good sense, uh, social life, but also it has a very strong religious life. There are statues everywhere. There are shrines everywhere. The 50 most prominent gods to the Romans was on public display, large and grand for everybody to see. And they were all being worshipped. Why does God, uh, Paul sorry, have so much to say 
about the church in Ephesus. Because the people in Ephesus thought they understood what the house of God was. With all of their religious history, they presumed as to what the house of God looks like, what the church looks like. And so Paul is realigning everything. Paul is teaching the local church in Ephesus what it looks like to be a God community, a Jesus-centered community in that city. You know, in my home, on Monday nights, it's family night. Isn't that right, guys? Family night. And we bring everyone together. The numbers have been getting smaller as sons have left the city. And then we've been going this other way because they get married. And we've got a few more coming back. But Monday night's family night. Don't try to call me Monday night because it's family night. And we sit there and we have a laugh. We, we discuss things. We actually do a hybrid. We have a, a screen up there with Zoom. We have our kids. So they literally join us from down the country every Monday night, and we have discussion and kind of hybrid thing. It's quite cool uh, way to connect. But here's the thing I noticed. As we eat and as we have our knives and forks and spoons, um, for those who don't enjoy a knife, um, I've noticed something. I, I really like my condiments. I can barely have anything without something on it. Is anybody else like that? My preferences, no judgment. Tomato sauce, barbecue sauce, aioli's become a bit of a favorite lately. Salt and pepper, a little bit of this. Anyone else like that? You like to dress it up and add, that's exactly right. They, but I noticed something throughout the night. They keep getting moved around the table. And occasionally I have to ask for it. Can, you, can I please have the, right? You try to be nice and polite and use manners, but you try and get them back onto the table so I can use them and we put them back in the center. And that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's getting us back into the center, our understanding of what church is. And I think it's very relevant for us today because we have drifted and we naturally do drift to our personal preferences and expectations. And so we need to come back, put, put the church right back in the middle again. What does the Bible say church is? Now, this sermon today, I'm going to cover chapter 1, 2, and 3. So I'm going to keep you here till about 2 p.m., then we're going to have some fish and chips and go home, all right? And some of you are wondering, is he joking? Yes, I'm joking. Come on, people. Lighten up. Here we go. I'm going to give you a little outline here. There we go. There's the first three chapters. We've got a nice little greeting from Paul. And then we've got what's called doxologies, bookending doxology. In other words, Paul is just, you want to read it, man. I'm telling you what. He like, it's almost like he's talking, he can't stop. He's gushing, he's gushing out about the beauty of the gospel, the wonder of Jesus. You just read the first chapter. I mean, that's what the doxology is. And then he's got a second doxology. It's like a praise. That's what doxology is. Doxa means glory. He's giving glory to God for the work of Christ. But, and then inside of those bookends, he's got two prayers. And in the side of that, right in the middle, he's got really what you could call the complete work of Christ. It's beautiful. And what I want to do is do like a, a, a low, res, low resolution kind of over that, like you're doing that right now. And then I want to dive into like high resolution on just three verses and unpack that for you today. Sound cool? So we're going to go to, we're going to, go, we're going to, go to chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. That's three verses. And can I invite us to stand on our feet to both get a bit of exercise Show a bit of respect and get some blood rushing down to the South Island. That's great. 
Here we go. <laughs> You've heard that joke? Have you heard the joke before? The Near East, the Far East, and the Middle East? Okay, here we go. Okay, all right. Doing all right? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please take your seat. I'm going to call this sermon very simply, What is Church? I love the church. I've grown up in the church. I've had many in the church model to me what life looks like, whether it's being a husband or a father or someone who walks with Jesus. I had belonged to a church since the age of about three to four when my mother got radically saved and we went to church as a single parent family. It's in the church that I met my wife and my kids were all dedicated and I learned and grew and, and my relationship with God it was in the church that I went astray. I kept coming to church, but my heart drifted somewhat many times and came back, always back to Jesus eventually. I love our Every Nation Church, but can I tell you something? Not nearly as much as God does. What do we mean by church? I want to give you a couple of thoughts right here. The first, there's two types of church. There's church universal and there's church local. Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church. That's singular. That's the church, capital C church. Jesus is the head and all the believers of Christ belong to the one true church globally. But then there's a thing called the church local and you can see one here in Ephesus, you see in Colossae, Philippi, Auckland, Christchurch, Darwin. Some, I mean, you see churches all around, these local churches. And the Gospels and the Epistles keep talking. 70% of the use of the word church is not referring to this, this sort of global sort of thing called a capital C church. No, it's about local people getting on with people inside a local community with identifiable leaders, local church leaders. The local church is part of the church universal, and the local church leaders are there to serve and to shepherd and to protect and to discipline, teach and equip members. And local churches have members who are planted. Everybody say planted. Planted, they're formed, they're gifted, they're, 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 their spiritual gifts can flourish, they're trained, and they're sent on mission to their workplace, to their place of study, to their neighborhood, and indeed sometimes overseas, involved in some kind of mission. It's a foreign concept biblically. When we talk about God's opinion, it's a foreign concept to follow Jesus and not reach out to those who don't follow Jesus. It's not a biblical concept to sit back and consume. It's actually being engaged and involved in what Jesus wants to do. But what is church? Well, let's start with what church is not. Church is not a material building. What you're sitting in at the moment is simply a tool. 
It's a venue that makes economical sense and helps us logistically. But we can also, the, the church is not the physical building. Buildings change, buildings deteriorate, buildings serve the greater purpose, you see. So the building is not a church. But I get it. We often say, I'm going to go to church, meaning this place. But I could accurately say I'm going to church by going to my connect group or going to youth. That's going to church. So it's not a material building. The church is not a denomination. There's many denominations and different conservative denominations. Every nation, you could say, is a denomination, 80-odd countries around the world. The church is not defined as a denomination. The church is not the kingdom of God. Interesting. Yes, there's a lot of overlap and a lot in common, but the kingdom of God is much larger than the church. It includes the whole universe. It includes angelic beings. It includes the saints in the Old Testament and the saints who have passed in the New Testament. The kingdom of God is larger than the church, but it contains the church. The church is not just attending a service. It's a good thing to do, but it's only a very small part of the church, the purpose of the church. And I'm going to say it, the church is not a place of entertainment. You get way more of that at a picture theatre or <laughs> Spark Arena or, you know, they do it so much better. Church is not about you being entertained. I mean, look at me. I'm not much, it's not about you being entertained. I hope our services, I hope our youth, I hope our connect groups are engaging. I really do. We work hard at trying to do the very best with what we have to make it engaging and meaningful for you. But the church is not about your personal entertainment. Can someone say Amen. It's about the glorification of God himself. It's about us binding together and being on mission together, doing something dangerous and eternal and faith, uh, stepping out in faith for him. My job is not to entertain you as much as I want you to be involved. It's about him. It's about us and it's about, more importantly, the people outside these four walls. It really is. That is by definition the purpose of the church. We exist for the, for, for the non-members. But the vast majority of Christians are content to be entertained or infotained each Sunday. And if you're not careful, churches will start to try and put on a, even a fa fancier program to try and attract more people. Friend, I don't want to get involved in that. I don't buy it, not doing it, checking out, get another career, I'm going to do something else. We, just don't, we don't build that way in this church. And you might feel incentivized and it's fine to visit a place here and there, but I want to tell you, you go, oh God, I'm getting ahead of my notes right now. I want to tell you fundamental God expectations of a church is relationships that don't, aren't disposable, relationships that are committed and learn to do life and work out things and, and have big humility and there's grace and there's transparency and we begin to walk together, established and planted where God wants us to be. And I know I'm pressing up against some cultural nuances, but I'm doing it intentionally with love because I want to get us back to the Bible because God's got a whole lot to say about this. It flies right in the face of Western Christianity for sure. So the church is none of those. What is the church? The church is the will of God. 
He designed it. He desires it. I feel quite defensive for the church. When people bag the church because they had a bad day in the office or something. Just me and Jesus on the beach. If a Christian is not established in a local church, they're unbiblical. I know there's a little moment in time in between. You've got to find out the will of God and all that kind of stuff. I, I totally accept. I think that's reasonable. That's fair. That's good. But to remain in that spot is not the will of God. On the grounds of Scripture, I say that. God's will is for the church to ultimately become the bride for his son. It's a precious thing. Be careful how we talk about any church, local. And I'm talking to me right now. It's his girl. You can say a lot of things to me, but you better not trash talk my wife. Even though I know she's not perfect. Gone quiet. Having a good time? The church is the will of God. The church is the eternal purpose of God. We're going to go to heaven and be with him forever. The church is a new holy nation. We could talk about a new ethnic, a new people that's drawn out like Israel was a demonstration of that. A people that was set apart from the church is the ecclesia. There's the big word. The ecclesia means the called out ones, the assembled people. Gosh, didn't COVID really mess up the assembled bit? Under God, people are under God, assembled people, under God, sanctified, walking in humility, a living billboard to a broken world. Listen to me. How we do relationships should be so different to the world outside. It should be so different. But very sadly, the, the way the world does relationships has crept into the church where we just move on if we're a bit uncomfortable. Who's talking about comfort? It's the greatest opportunity to grow and grow deeper in God and with each other. We've got to do relationships better. We've got to do relationships well. And we can because we have a Holy Spirit who works with us. The church, I love what Kevin Connor says. He says the church consists of living people. It's an organism, not merely an organization. Let's dig into the, the, the key text a little bit more today. It says now, therefore. Now that's really important, right? Because you know what's happened? Right up to this moment has been all this gushy language about the beauty of Jesus, the wonder of Christ, the, the, the majesty of his provision and the gospel. And then the, the focus begins to shift from being joined to Christ to being joined to God's people. Oh, that's the problem right there. <laughs> Me and God, we're good, man. Oh, man, we're good. It's just these people i got to get on with. Expectations expectations it's people i read a whole book on this god you're fine how can i the book title is how can i fly like an eagle when i dwell with chickens true story written by a kiwi pastor no less how can i fly like an eagle when i'm living with chickens And then Paul 
shifts the focus from vertical to horizontal, and he uses a metaphor of a temple. Now, Paul is nodding back to the temple of Solomon, the temple, the tabernacle of Moses. He's giving us a hint in the text of what can happen when you come together and fit something and construct something so well that God sees it and he can't help himself. But come on down and fill that place with a spirit. Powerful stuff. It says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been, and look at the language, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, you'll find that language throughout the New Testament. And what that's really saying, see, the prophets and the apostles were the recipients of revelation. That's, that's God's way of saying the people that received the revelation from right from the very beginning, from Abraham forward to even right now, they were the ones who received it. So we've got those guys who built a foundation, but Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together do you see the picture i literally had three bricks that i meant to bring here today and try to provide you a nice little demonstration of three bricks that are overlaid different colors just to reflect their multiculturalism but also rub them together because you can hear the abrasiveness of the relation it's called relationship it's called offense it's called grace it's called different. You mean I've got to serve with that person? Yeah. It's, what, it's God's design to help get a few edges out of you. Of course, we always want to run to a group that looks like us, sounds like us, and does everything like us because all our preferences become the central issue. But what about if we asked a crazy question like, God, which group do you want me to join? You mean all those white folk? Yeah, maybe. Or those folk? Or that folk? Yeah, maybe. The temple looks this beautiful picture of bricks and actually stone. We could, we could take that metaphor all the way home, baby. Chiseling, crafting, character issues, prejudice, exclusive attitudes, I mean, all range of things. We could unpack that, but we've not got time today. But I want you to catch the imagery of the temple in whom you are being built up. All the language through here, ladies and gentlemen, is plural, not individual. So we're on this foundation, and Christ is that cornerstone, and the cornerstone is Christ. There we go, just kind of doing a reverse little thing there to keep you engaged in the message. From frightened, we might disengage and just go off to something else. What is this cornerstone? Why is Paul talking about a cornerstone? He's not talking about, the original language is not talking about a ceremonial stone where you might put a, something on the inside or stamp a date on the, on the top at all. It's not talking about a capstone or a keystone that's crowning the top of a building or a wall. The original language is clearly referring to a foundational stone. And, and these stones were very prominent in ancient building techniques. They were load-bearing stones. But here's the important thing. Those cornerstones determined the lines of the building. You see what's happening here? 
They project out that line. They project out that, what's the right word? Adjacent line, I think it is, 90 degrees. And they project this line up here. The cornerstone sets the dimensions. It sets the direction. It sets the lines of the building. And here's the other thing. When and if there's a flood or there's a natural disaster, I think we know a little bit about that lately, they become a great source of protection. People would run behind the cornerstone because other things get washed away, but not the cornerstone. In fact, there's a historical finding in Palestine of a one stone that weighed 570,000 kilos. That's 570 ton. So they were anchoring the building. They were setting the lines and they were providing refuge and protection for people. That is what Jesus Christ does for us. And sitting alongside him on that foundation where there was a revelation of, through Scripture from the apostles and the prophets. And on top of that beautiful, strong base, we find the layering of stone and bricks and shapes and colors to form this beautiful picture of this temple that Paul is talking about. Is anybody following me? This is like getting me excited right now. He's, he's, and then when that's complete and it's in unity and it's working together and it looks beautiful, the presence of God will come and dwell within it. And the world will see the love we have for one another. The world will see a caring body of people who care about the world and want to go beyond the four walls of that temple. That's the dream of God. That's just one metaphor. There's others in this book, this beautiful letter of Ephesians about human bodies of different parts. There's other forms and metaphors throughout the entire scripture about a called out people who do life together, who commit to one another, who are diverse and yet unified. Tricky, difficult, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit. And I praise God for that. So who's the cornerstone of the church? Jesus Christ. So I think we need to change our thinking a little bit. The first one I think is a common phrase, a common thought. Number one, we need to understand that the church is the people. Number two, we have to remember our identity. As believers in Christ. Can I say to you today, if you come from a different land, you are a foreigner here. If you are a believer and a member of this church, you're no longer a stranger or a foreigner, spiritually speaking. We are one family together. Amen to that. You are a child of God, purchased by Jesus and part of the family of God, the household of God. But the enemy doesn't want you to know that. The enemy wants you to feel distant, disconnected, lonely, isolated. The enemy will tell, speak lies to try to create because he, see the picture, he sees the picture of the temple and the power of it. And so the enemy will do everything he can to frustrate that construction, that dream of God. The third thing I think we need to shift our thinking in is we need to shift from being from individual to collective. All the language in our text today is pluralistic. And one of our values as a local church is spiritual family. We don't believe in living independent and isolated. And we certainly don't cash up relationships for temporal success. And I realize even there we have different opinions and different ideas about what family looks like. 
and we could all learn from one another. But I do see absolutely in this scripture and throughout the scriptures, God's call to be a family. One father, many siblings, doing family together, which is not always pretty, but it's so fulfilling, ultimately. The fourth shift in our thinking, I believe, should go from being a consumer to a contributor. I think we all understand that Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And I think we need to have the same attitude. You see, there are really three groups. There's God, there's self, and there's others. And this is what I've discovered over the years. If we can go to that next slide with that wonderful little diagram. Here's what I've discovered over the years. When church is all about self, maybe self will get a blessing. But when church is about God and others, all three are blessed. All three are blessed. When we come in, we assemble in a connect group or whatever the ministry might be, we say it's about you, God, and it's about others, you'll find that you will become so connected and feel such a sense of belonging. It's incredible. And I've heard the saying before, and you may have heard it as well, a dog in the hunt doesn't know he's got fleas. A dog in the hunt doesn't know he's got fleas. If you make it about God and you make it about other people, you will actually be satisfied. You will feel a sense of fulfillment and belonging. But when it's only about self, then only yourself can possibly receive a blessing. Others don't, and God probably doesn't either. Because we're just thinking about self. And isn't that what God's trying to put to death? Self. And one of his primary instruments of doing that is family. And finally, as we shift our thinking, the fifth thought here is that Jesus is the true senior pastor of this church. He has called and ordained me to be an under-shepherd of him, which is a privilege and an incredible responsibility. But ultimately, I just want to give you a little, let you in a little secret. I'm so glad he is. <laughs> God, this is your church. What would you like me to do? How would you like me to, to serve her? I take great comfort knowing that he builds the church, that he designs the church. And while he has a human agency to make decisions and, and, and build teams and move forward, uh, my confidence is not in my ability. Just put it that way. My confidence is not even in my ultimate, in my character. As much as I hope I can bring something to the table, ultimately it's about God. Jesus is the true senior pastor of our church. Can I get uh, Mayette, if you can come and join me? Thank you. So Jesus is the cornerstone of every nation, Auckland City. In every nation language, we could put it this way. We honor God first. We make disciples second. The honor of God is paramount in our church, not just on our lips, but in our heart. He is a cornerstone corporately. We try to, to the best of our ability, identify leaders at different areas in the life of the church based on their relationship with God and not only that, other things as well. We hope the leaders of our church provide a good example of what it looks like to, to be alongside the cornerstone. Our meetings begin with prayer usually, and close with prayer, usually, to honor God, not as a religious thing, but just recognizing. I almost prefer to have an empty chair in all the meetings 
to remind me that God is here. Every one of our songs that we sing, we put it through a grid, a theological grid to make sure it's Christ-centered. We don't worship worship, we worship Jesus. We don't worship an experience, we worship Jesus. I remember being in a church one time, just visiting, and the senior pastor was beside me, and he was stepping in to take over this church because it was going through a transition. And the worship just went on and on and on and on. And he just leaned over and said, don't worry, Richard. They worship worship here, not Jesus. And it made me really think. It's possible to worship emotion in the moment. And ultimately, when you unpack it, it can become so much about just ourselves. And that's important, but not as nearly as much as worshiping Jesus. So corporately, we want him to be our cornerstone, but also, as I land this plane, he's our cornerstone individually in our own lives. Is he your cornerstone? As he tries to fit you in as he tries to fit each of us together in this church. I realize we have some visitors today and we're so glad that you came. But my comments at this point probably go to my local church and to you also for your local church wherever you came from. These are questions and thoughts that I think are relevant to us all. Individually, is he your cornerstone? Have you allowed God to fit you in somewhere? You see, I think we should be consulting God or we should consult the cornerstone about church individually. I'd like to suggest that we should ask questions like, which church do you want me to be planted into? Which church do you want me to be planted into? Here's another one. Do you want me to go to church today? I'm not sure it's crossed everybody's thoughts, but God may have an opinion on that, even if the tide is up and the sun is out and there's grumpy children. This is not a condemnation thing. It's just a good question to ask, right? God, do you want me to go to church today? Do you want me to go to connect group tonight? Do you want me to fill in the blank? Because that's what it would look like practically if he was our cornerstone individually. Well, God, would you like me to get involved in some area in the life of my church? Would you like me to give my tithes and my offerings? Would you, would you like me to reach out to someone? Just one person. Say hi. How are you today? How's your week been? It's possible, don't you think, that God might have an opinion, a view, an expectation. 
that's beyond ourselves. And look what happens in the text. It says, we become, as we do this well, we become a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I just love it. I love it. I so want to preach that. When you go back to the pictures in the Old Testament of of the smoke coming down and the shaking of the building and, and the trumpets blowing as the glory of God fills that place. And the power of the unified people, the power of clear vision and strategy and moving forward. Oh, it's gripping and it's beautiful and it's why the enemy will do everything he can to cut it down. Yet the dream of God for the church remains. Did not Christ in John 17 pray for us? Let them be one, Father, as we are one. You and I, me and you, you and me, that whole, it just layer after layer, verse after verse of capturing the dream of the church. So this brings me to one question as I truly do land the plane. One question. This whole sermon's about one simple question today. And I don't want you to answer it too quickly. But I think it's an important question. And here it is. Has God planted me in this local church? Has God planted you in this local church? Very important decision. I think it's an important question because it helps us make a decision in a world, a sea of emotion that kind of gets pulled into individualism and pulled into all kinds of things. Anchored. Now, as for me and my wife, the answer is yes. Not because I need a salary. <laughs> Come on. The day someone else becomes a senior pastor, I'll be happy to be part of the fellowship be a member and serve and help, whoever that might be. This is my family. Has God planted you in a local church? 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, what does it say there in the verse? Just as he, oh wow. So you have an opinion about where I commit my Service and my tithe and my presence. Like, you have an opinion about that? No way. God, there's so many churches. I mean, is it okay to bounce around? It might be okay for a short period of time in a new city. Who knows? I'm not, no judgment, but, but, but at some point in time, God has a place for you and it's not perfect and it won't be because you're going there. And it certainly won't be perfect because you've got me here. I mean, who wants perfect anyway? Are we doing okay? I can feel it in the room. It's, it's, it's totally cool. I have friends who are pastors of other churches who will say exactly the same thing. This is not a, we're together. One of the great challenges of pastoring is this constant sea of people. And I'm not going to get into entertainment to hold people. 
We need to be about the mission. We need to learn what it is to be family. And God has blessed us, and I'm so glad about that. But I feel today, I've just got to bring the condiments back in the middle of the table. What church is, what church is not, universal versus local. But also this idea of the cornerstone corporately as well as the cornerstone individually. Because he has an opinion and a love and he's an attentive, caring, nurturing God who wants you to be in the right spot. And often, as you know, parents, often that's not just to fulfill the wishes of the children. It's to put them in a place where they can grow and be stretched and be healthy. Can we stand to our feet if we can? I'd like to pray a prayer over you as we close. And then it's over. Thank you, Mayette. You sound beautiful back there. I want to pray a prayer that is found in chapter 3, and Paul is praying over the church. And I'm basing it on that. I'm changing it a little bit. But I want to pray this over you, but also over our fellowship in Hamilton and Tauranga. And of course, there are many here today who can't be here. But I want to pray this over you. So please close your eyes. And I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website, www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.